Hello, I'm Brad Riley, and you're listening to Forming the Spirit Within, a podcast where you'll find such things as in-depth Bible studies, some classes I teach on a variety of spiritual matters, as well as some conversations I want to have with you and others along the way, all of which I hope will inspire you to a deeper life in Jesus Christ. In his second Corinthian letter, St. Paul the Apostle described our lives as a process of transformation that comes to us by looking full into the face of Jesus. And as we behold His glory, we are transformed into His glorious likeness in ever-increasing measure. What an amazing thought, that we can be transformed into the very glory of Jesus. That is my prayer for you, that in some small way this podcast will help you in your transformation from glory into even greater glory, as Christ forms His Spirit within you. I hope you'll subscribe to the podcast and not only listen, but join in on the conversation with a question or a comment. Thanks so much for listening, and may the Lord be with you. Well, good morning. I'm going to go ahead and begin. It's just a, a minute after 11, so that's pretty good for me. I'm, I'm actually starting early, so it uh, seems like it's always four or five after before we start. Thank you for being here. I know there's more that are going to filter in, and that's no problem. Just everybody come in and take their seats. We don't have to worry about that at all. It is so good to have you here. Good to have Julie and Carol here today. And, uh, you know, I want to say this as we introduce this subject. Last week, I, we we finished chapter four last week, but I read it together with the first part of chapter five. The last half of chapter four and the first part of chapter five I read together because they're pretty much one, well, the big word is uh, pericope, one big story, um, one big thought. And we were talking about you know that the, the Apostle Paul has introduced this concept of the this whole book, this letter to the Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul has introduced this concept of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so we began to dabble out into those waters last week as we talked about it. And it'll be the dominant theme, really, from here out as we finish this book in chapter 5 and then go into the second letter to the Thessalonians. The second coming of Christ is kind of the dominant theme. And we noticed in, in this book, 1 Thessalonians, every chapter, all five chapters, ended an end with a mentioning of the second coming of Christ. So last week as we introduced this, I told you by way of, I mean, there's no way we could possibly study all there is to study about end-time theology unless we have a course on that, which maybe God willing will do someday. But I do want to give you, I, I introduce the thought to you that, that I don't necessarily think of it the same way I used to and the way I used to teach. Um, because there's a lot of, what I've learned is there's a lot of different thoughts about when Jesus is coming again, how Jesus is coming again. But let me say this, I want to be ultimately clear, okay, in case anybody misunderstood me last week. I believe... Jesus Christ will come again. Period. Full stop. End of discussion. He will come again. Now, how and when that happens, there's a lot of discussion that can happen in the middle. Okay, But even the ancient creeds of Christianity are very clear. We believe Christ is coming again. Now, most of us in this room, having grown up, most of us grown up, I didn't, but most of us, I grew up evangelical Christians, 
Evangelical Christians have always, well, since they've been around pretty much the last two to three hundred years, since the English revival of John Wesley's days, that's kind of seen as kind of the father of the evangelical movement, if you will. Well, Christians have always been evangelical. I, I, you know, at some point, those are just labels, okay? Every Christian is evangelical. I mean, if you believe that the gospel is life and you want others to know it, that's evangelism. You want to be evangelical. So the term evangelical has kind of been hijacked in our culture, and there's been a lot of things that have been kind of added to it. It's a, it's a political buzzword. You know, those evangelical Christians, the, the moral majority, the right, you know, all of that has, politics has given it a certain connotation. But all it really means, when I use the word evangelical, I want you to know what I mean is, I mean believers who want to share the gospel with others. That's the heart of evangelism. And there's lots of different ways to share the, share the gospel. The primary way to share the gospel is to live the gospel. Now, I'm a preacher, okay, by, by calling. So I'd like to think that my calling is to share the gospel with my words and my sermons and my, all those kind of things. But the truth is I know that's not primary, even for me, because nobody's going to listen to my sermons or my Bible studies or my classes if I don't live it first, okay? And what we've had to learn throughout the evangelical movement is that people really don't care what you know until they know that you care. Okay? So, to be Christian, to preach the gospel. I love the story of St. Francis of Assisi. You know St. Francis, just a real quick story. He was, I think he lived in the 1100s, somewhere around there, 12th century, in Italy. Born of wealth and privilege, gave it all up to serve the Lord as a monk, ended up founding kind of a brotherhood. Today they're called Franciscans. Uh, this is in the Roman, in the auspices of the Roman Catholic Church, which was the Western Christian Church in that day. There were no others. There was always Eastern Christianity, but this is in the Western world. And in his life, the story is told of him and some of his young monks, some of the young brothers that, that joined him on his journey and followed his teachings and spiritual discipleship. Uh, he, he said, come, brothers brothers, particularly young disciples, said, come, let us go down to the village. Let's go down to the village and share the gospel. And so they went down to the village, and along the way, they uh, saw uh, some kids playing. So they stopped to play. And then another way, they went a little further, and they saw an older lady sitting beside her home. And they stopped and just spent all this time visiting and talking and just laughing and sharing about life and going on. And they... they they went into the marketplace, and it was really, really busy, and they stopped and had wonderful time looking around, maybe getting some things back for the, for the uh, brotherhood. And it, it came late in the day, and St. Francis said, come, my son, let's go back. Time to go back. And he said, but wait, we were supposed to share the gospel. And St. Francis said, that's what we've been doing all day, sharing the gospel, by living the gospel, by loving people. That's what Jesus did. He walked out into this earth and he walked into the lives of people and lived the life of Christ. Moral, true, good, wholesome, loving, healing, life-giving. Okay? So the life of Christ is primarily a life lived, not a life preached. So we let the 
actions preach louder than words in that sense. So I always have to remind myself of that as a preacher. Okay. Um, and this, so this, so when I say I believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ, I don't necessarily believe in it the way I always did before, because what I began to learn, I want to, I want to just preface some of this because the very beginning of this part of the chapter talks to us about the second coming. Okay, so let's go ahead and read these eleven verses. Okay, we read them last week, but now we're ready for these, so we're going to read them again. And I'm reading it out of the the. Revised Standard Version, the old Revised Standard Version, as I always do up here. But you follow along with whatever you have. And we'll stop and discuss it. Verse 1. But as to the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves know well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. When people say there is peace and security, then suddenly destruction will come upon them as travail comes upon a woman with child, and there will be no escape. But you are not in darkness, brethren, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night, I mean, sons of light, I might have slipped there and said night. Verse 5 again, for you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober and put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we wake or sleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Let's stop there. The day of the Lord. What is the dear Apostle Paul talking about. He's talking about the end of all time as we know it. Remember, we've always said that God exists outside of time. Time is what God created for our world. How do we measure time? With our watch? The sun and the moon. That's correct. He gave the sun and the moon the seasons. He gave them for us to measure time. But he doesn't need time. God exists outside of time and space. We know that Jesus existed before the foundation of the world, so that's before time and space. We know that there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one, that have always existed, eternally existed. And the day of the Lord is going to come one day and introduce us to that life, which is called eternity. Okay. Now here's one thing I want to say right up front. If we die tonight, guess when the day of the Lord was for us? Just happened. That's right. Okay. So before you get all caught up wondering if it's the day of the Lord coming soon, you know, in more ways than one, the day of the Lord will come. Okay. But there has always been this. He's remember, Paul is writing because there's a problem with the people in the church at Thessalonica, Thessalonica. There's a problem. 
The problem is, the reason he's addressing this is because they're doing a lot of speculating. And as we'll see as we get further into, into book two, they're even, some of them quit working. They're just so wrapped up in this thought that Jesus is coming again. Why bother? You know, we believe now we're just going to hang out until he gets here. And some of them probably started trying to figure out when he would get here. So these are all temptations to man. We have this temptation. And I want to tell you, boy, did I have that temptation. As a young Christian teacher here in this church, I taught a Sunday school class for 11 years. Okay, I started when I was pretty young. And in that teaching, one of the things that worked its way into that teaching was this talk about end times. You know, the end times. Everybody's always wanting to talk about the end times. There's a whole Bible study that meets here on Wednesday nights that talks about the end times. Okay, But, but here's part of, the, part of the problem I had is I began to learn like we all do. We only know what we know because this is what we see and what we're taught. As I grew and as I matured and as I learned the scripture more, I began to expose myself and understand that there are other ways to think about it. And what I'm going to tell you this morning is there are about four, generally speaking, about four different ways you can view the end times. Okay? I'll just give them to you briefly here. I'm going to write them on the board. I'm going to write words that kind of describe them on the board. Don't worry, we will get to the scripture eventually. Okay, the first one is what's called... The uh, the preterist view, preterist, comes from the Latin word praetor, okay, which means past, okay. The second view is is called the uh, historicist view, okay. I'm going to briefly talk about what all these means. Probably spelled that wrong. The historicist view. And it's like you would expect. There's a historical belief that everything's been fulfilled throughout history there. Okay, uh, It's a little different than the preterist. The preterist clearly points to fulfillments of the, the beliefs in the day of the Lord in the past. Those two differ a little, and I'll tell you how. The third view is the one that evangelicalism is most prominent and understands. You, I'll bet, grew up thinking it's the gospel truth. You never knew there was any other view. That was me, okay? And that's called the dispensational view. And that's a big mouthful that I can't even spell in a hurry. Dispensational view. Or sometimes just called the futurist view. A little easier to remember. The futurist view, okay? Kind of like it sounds. There is a dispensation of time, and when that time is up, there's everything that we read about the end times is yet to be fulfilled, most of it, in the future. The fourth view, the one that gets very little attention, it's actually pretty wise in many ways, is called the spiritualist view. Now, so right now you're probably wondering, I've already told you, I'm not, I always was this. This is what I thought was the, it. I'm not. So which one am I? The last one. Or, <laughs> Would you believe me if I told you none of them? <laughs> there's a hybrid. The truth is there's some truth in all of them. Okay? There is some truth in all of them. The answer really is yes and no, both and. Okay? But if you could best term a view for me, I would be what's called a partial 
after all my study, and I believe, partial preterist. I really would be called a partial preterist with a, a lot of spiritualist woven in. Well, let me tell you why. Let me just, just explain these. Pre, true preterist believes everything has already been fulfilled. Everything you read in the Bible, including the second coming, already been fulfilled. Can't happen. Jesus is going to come again. So right away, I know the preterist is not what I would believe. Okay. Now, the historicist is one that has looked at the fulfillment back in history, and this this became very this became very popular in about the time of the uh, Protestant Refo- Reformation. Early Protestants were most all historicists, okay? They saw the imagery of the book of Revelation, the Antichrist, the beast, the the dragon that comes to help the Antichrist, all this. They saw that fulfilled, the apostasy of the falling away of Christians. They saw that fulfilled in the Church of Rome. When you look at the book of Revelation, you see it's clear that Babylon is a code word for Rome. In the book of Revelation, that's, that's just clear. Most all scholars will tell you that. Wouldn't you say the United States is like a new Babylon? In many ways, probably <laughs> true. Yeah. Um, but here, here, hear me out. This, all of our, all of the Protestant heroes, Martin Luther, uh, uh, John, even John Wesley, they came to, they came to uh, John Calvin. They came to kind of embrace this view, because it was the time that they lived in. The, the Pope was. The Pope of Rome in that period in time, many of them had, there were some dark years, some very evil popes, okay? Now, they began to see the papacy. The problem with this view is they began to teach that the papacy, throughout history then, they began to teach that the papacy is the Antichrist in every age. And what you had was a very anti-Catholic view from Protestants, okay? You, some of you might have grown up hearing that, you know? Uh, believe me, I grew up with some family that were extremely anti-Catholic. And they really did think that, the, and this is the 20th century, right? That the Pope was the Antichrist. I got news for you, the Pope's not the Antichrist, okay? There have been some great holy men that have been Popes. Okay. Why did the last one turn down his job? Like, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, there's a great movie out about it the called The Two Popes. The Pope that was before the yeah, Pope. Pope Benedict. I couldn't, I'd take too long to answer that, but I will say this, it's a fascinating story, and there is a very good movie out, it's actually up for an, an Oscar this year called The Two Popes, it's very good, I would recommend you watch it, it's very good, huh? What's it called? The Two Popes, because there's really two popes alive at one time right now, which is only happened one other time in history. Um, so, historicists, <coughs> eh, don't believe it, okay, um, the dispensationalist, this, and I said, this is the bulk of everything, so I'll come back to that. Spiritualist, what's a spiritualist? A spiritualist sees fulfillment in prophecy in every age, okay? In every age, every age, everybody that lives on earth has to make a decision for Christ. Every age is tempted by the devil. Every age sees wrath. Every age, so there's much fulfillment in every age. And that the things that are written about to come they would believe is fulfilled over and over in every age. Well, I'm not a pure spiritualist either, okay? So what in the world is a... And now the, 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 the dispensationalist is one that, that says we are living in a time called the church age 
And the church age is going to come to an end at the rapture. We talked a little bit about the rapture last week, this thought of the rapture, this word that meant the catching away of the saints, okay, that were alive on earth when Jesus returns, and that the dead in Christ rise first. That was last week's lesson. Go back and listen to the podcast if you missed it. Um, And that there will ever be with the Lord. And that, that somehow there's three different views of futurists too. This was ages. They see that when the church age comes to an end, then you have the millennial age. Scripture talks about Jesus will reign for a thousand years. Okay? That millennial age. And they take that literally, a thousand years literally. And then at the end of that thousand years, there's this final battle. Armageddon. Now, for time, reasons and time I don't have to describe in this Bible study, um, I think there's some flaws to that. I think there's some truth to it, but there's also some flaws there too, okay? But here's the main thing I want you to hear about it. This view, okay, now there are three different views within the one view. Some people believe that that rapture is going to happen at the beginning of that horrible time of tribulation. They believe that the tribulation time is a seven-year fixed period, and they get a lot of this from the book of Daniel, okay, because they're applying certain things very literally, okay, and that some people believe the rapture happens at the beginning of that tribulation period, that horrible time of trouble. Some people believe it happens in the middle of that time. Some people believe it happens in the end of that time. Well, I don't believe any of those three, okay? So I guess (laughs) a joke once, okay? This guy was standing on a bridge, and he's walking across the Golden Gate Bridge, and he he meets another man, and they stop and talk. They're just looking at the beauty and the awe of creation. And one says, isn't the the creator incredible? And the other guy says, yeah, wow, you're a believer, huh? Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm just taking in all this beauty. And the guy says, wow, what kind of believer are you? He says, well, I'm a... You know, a, a Southern Baptist. And the other guy says, wow, me too. And, and, and he says, well, are, are you a, a, a Southern Baptist uh, that believes in, uh, and I'm not going to tell this joke very well, because there's several. They go through about two or three different things. And he goes, yeah, wow, me too. And finally he comes up, well, now, are you a pre-trib, a post-trib, or a mid-trib? And the guy says, oh, I'm a post-trib. And the guy says, the, at the, at the, he says, you heretic, and pushes him off the bridge. <laughs> okay. It was all, yeah, me too, we're brothers. Oh, you're a heretic. Push, you know, crazy. So there, there is a lot of emotion around this view that sees it as the only way. But here's what I want you to understand. This view was not taught in history of the church until the early 1800s. It's rare, fairly recent discovery, Okay. Plus, one of the problems that's inherent with this view is that for, for a view that likes to take everything in Scripture wooden literal, it's not taking literal the, time, the fact that, that the Revelation tells us, that Jesus tells us these things must soon take place. So all the things that are hard to understand about the book of Revelation, John promises in that very first chapter, these things must soon take place. It's difficult to deal with all that. Now, that's a very simple review of all of them, okay? So what's a partial preterist? A partial preterist understands that much of everything you read about in the book of Revelation was understood by the people that heard it, 
that apocalyptic literature was kind of a code, but it was understood by them. It's not understood by us. We live 2,000 years later. It's a struggle for us to understand it because we're not students of the culture in the time, but they understood it. And it was a blessing to them to read it. As it says, it promises in the first chapter of the book of Revelation, blessed is the one who reads this and understands it because they could understand it. And the fact is that in that understanding, they were, it was given to them so that they could be aware of what was the warning of what was about to happen. But the partial preterist stops in saying it wasn't all fulfilled because Christ is still to return. Okay? So where does that leave us in this whole idea of a thousand years, the millennial age, and the church age? The, his, the historical view of Christian Scholars, whether they're east or west, throughout the first 1,800 years of Christianity was not a pre-millennialist or a post-millennialist. It was an all-millennialist. What does that mean? All-millennial. Put an A in front of the word millennial. That it's, it's all-millennial. Okay, This is the millennium. It's not meant to be a literal 1,000 years, but that's a phrase in God's economy for a very long time, unspecified period of time. As Scripture says often, a day in the life of God is like a thousand years in the life of man. Scripture in both old and new uses that metaphor of a thousand years over and over. We do it all the time in our, in our own language. Oh, man, I haven't been there in a thousand years. Oh, yeah. Or it seems like these type of metaphor. So it's very difficult for us to understand when is the Bible speaking metaphorically and when is it speaking literally. That's a very simplified view. If you want to go deeper in it, Okay, till such a time as I'm ever able to teach class. And I did this all on a Wednesday night several years ago. Some of you might have been through it. If you want to go deeper, there is a book that is very well written. It's called Revelation Four Views. And it'll go in, it's a side-by-side -side parallel Bible, and you can see the four views. Okay? Now, it took me about four years of study. I quit teaching on that subject I went back to the drawing board. I tried to throw away my prejudices as best as any of us can do and just tried to look at Scripture objectively and history objectively and say, what do I believe about this, Lord? Because some of the things... Now, let me just say it this way. If, you fall, if you're dyed in the wool committed in this camp, you know, you're what we used to call, a, to use a bad analogy, a yellow dog Democrat, okay? You know what a yellow dog Democrat is? Mm -mm. A yellow dog Democrat will vote for a yellow dog for sheriff as long as he's a Democrat. Okay. <laughs> you could make that same joke about a Republican. I just don't know it. Um, but, but the point, if, if this is you and your hook, line, and sinker there, God bless you. I'm not going to try and talk you out of it. I might be wrong. I, but I believe in what I believe. And I, because you know what the good news is? We're both looking forward to the second coming of Christ. Right? And, and so don't let it divide. None of these should divide us as Christians. Sadly, it has, though. Too many people, this is a dividing thing. Boy, if you don't buy their view, you're just out. Like the guy that pushed the guy off the bridge. Okay. Now, so let's come back. What, what is what, Revelation 4 views? The book was written by a guy named Steve Gregg. Steve Gregg. If you want to check into it, Steve Gregg. Steve Greg or Steve Greg? Greg, G-R-E-G-G. -G. Thanks for asking that. Okay, back to the scripture. Paul is telling them, 
you know what, guys, there in Thessalonia, you don't have me, you don't need me to write any of this to you because you know. You know. You have no need for anyone to write anything to you. For you yourselves well know the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the light. Well, what is it that they knew? What is it, what is it they knew? I mean, these are young Christians, okay? He's already writing to them about the end of the world because they're young Christians. We've talked, this church has only been in existence for maybe six months when he writes this letter. What is it they knew? They inherently knew that to be a Christian is to understand that Jesus Christ will return. Okay? And that when he does, all things will be made right. Yes? Then they have to have the spirit of the Lord on them before you know, they can believe all this stuff and act like they did. I think that can be true about all of us. I don't think we can believe anything without the Spirit of the Lord. Yeah. I think that we, we ha- the Spirit of the Lord helps our weakness. You know, the Spirit of the Lord is what brings truth. Jesus said, you know, I've got a lot more to teach you guys, but you don't understand it. Back when we studied John, he said, I've got a lot more to teach you guys, but you're not going to understand it right now. But I will ask the Father to bring you the Helper, and he will guide you into all truth. Okay. So... <laughs> I began to have a problem when I thought, hmm, all of my views about the end of the world and the end of times and the Antichrist and everything, it, it's, it's, it's not the views the, early, the earliest Christians had. It doesn't seem to be the views taken up through the teachings of any of the church fathers and any of the historians until just a couple hundred years ago. That began to trouble me. Okay, Maybe it's right. Maybe it is right, but I don't think. Wouldn't the Antichrist come in with the new order following... Like they, I mean, you can change history if you want, but people are stupid, and I don't mean to <laughs> say that, but it's true. Yeah. So they talk about a new order coming, and somebody in charge of that, that you got to pray and preach to them, or I mean, well, I'm I've gonna read that somewhere, and there's sure, sure, that sure, that of course. The same as the Antichrist and what you're saying. Uh, yes and no. Um, there is a new order. There's a new order coming, and that will be the final order. That will be the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, but there is also a new order. But there's also a new order here already, and that is the kingdom of this world that we are doing battle with. The good news is we know who wins. Okay, Satan does have room to operate in this world, but he's already been vanquished. Okay, there's no doubt who's going to win this thing. The only doubt is. What are you and I going to do with our free will as to whose side we're going to play on? Because he's trying to get everybody That's right. down. That's right. Sure he's he is. Going down and he knows it. Absolutely. Didn't God just give him the rain over the earth for a short period of time? Whatever that is, short in the eyes of God, he's got this rain. Yeah. Okay. But even he, because of the cross, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus conquered death. He's now put the devil out of business in that sense. The devil thought he could still win as God until Jesus rose from the dead. And then Paul writes in his la- in the 15th chapter of the Corinthian letter, 1 Corinthian letter, Paul writes, until the last enemy is put under Jesus' feet, and that last enemy is death. Mm-hmm. That, that's what we read about last week. When, when Christ steps out in history, and when the dead are raised, raised first, and then we who are alive at that time are changed, then there will be no more death, right? Mm-hmm. But until then, there's still death. 
had a beautiful, beautiful talk after 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 Bible study last week with Wes, who sat down here in front. I was just so excited to see his his brain start clicking and thinking about some of the things that have been hurting him in his past. And and I just love that guy. I'm so sad he can't be here today to continue this discussion. He's not feeling well, so keep him in your prayer. Um, but I, I I know, and you know, here we are, right here. You have Carol and Julie and 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 Faye and Jackie. They just in the last week went through the death of loved ones. This is painfully fresh stuff. But yet we know that that death is not final. And what I want you to hear, Jackie, is that what I really think God wants us to see is that this world we're living in right now, because of the cross and because of the resurrection, this is the kingdom. Not in its final state, but it's the kingdom. That's why we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We believe, Jesus said, John 5, 24, that when we believe, we pass out of death and into life. Okay? So you and I, when we believed in Jesus, when we were regenerated, when we were saved, we stepped into the kingdom. The kingdom of God is here. It's not just there. It's here and there. There are different dispensations. There are different realities. Okay? And one day there'll be one. But for now, it's here. Don't miss that the kingdom is here. That's the biggest message I I want to preach to people. Don't miss that this is the kingdom of God. Jesus says in the end of the book of Revelation, Behold, I'm coming to make all things new. And it's a very present, active verb going on. He is recreating right now. Every time somebody comes to the light, he's recreating the world. So what you're kind of saying is even though we're on earth, we can feel the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. We can live in the Holy Spirit, in Christ. That's what it means to live in Christ, is to have the Holy Spirit within us, okay? Guiding us, moving us, shaping us, which is that beautiful verb we talked about a few weeks ago called sanctification, and it's going to come up in the next week because before chapter 5 is over, he's going to be talking about being sanctified entirely, okay? We need to hear those messages again, guys. We really need to hear that. I'm going to be preaching on it this Sunday night. I'm doing a revival in Wellington. If you happen to be near Wellington, it's not too far to drive. Sunday morning, Sunday night, revival services in Wellington, Church of the Nazarene there. And I'm going to be talking Sunday night specifically about sanctification. I'm going to be talking about the abiding life of Christ and what it looks like to live in the kingdom here in the morning. Salvation messages, but in the evening it's going to be about sanctification. I've got some workshops to do on Saturday there, and Friday night I'm talking also, but it's not a service. Friday night's a talk about my book. And pastor? Yes. With the Holy Spirit here, and we're living in the kingdom, the way I understand it is that even though God gave Satan authority, I mean Satan rule over the earth, we, when Jesus rose from the grave and went, he gave us power and authority to resist the devil. He gives us his power. Yeah, through the to Holy resist, Spirit. To, through the Holy Spirit to resist. Yeah. We have no power of our own to resist the devil. No, but through the Holy Spirit. But through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, when we invite the Holy Spirit to live within us. Yeah. And make no bones about it, when you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Okay, you can't be saved without the Holy Spirit. He just doesn't have all of us, necessarily. Mm-hmm. That's why we believe in a second blessing, a deeper work of heart cleansing. Yes? A little while ago, this 
fairly recently, somebody was talking about a pastor who was such a strong, strong Christian years ago. And then he turned away, Satan got a hold of him, and I keep thinking... There's been many of those. Could that happen to me? You know, I mean, what's to keep that from... Well, it's a great question, Joan. Um, what, what, do, we, do we live in fear that that could happen to us? Okay. I think the closer you get God doesn't want us to live in fear that that'll happen to us. But it's a natural thought. The bad if they could get a hold of that guy. Yeah. Wow. What would you say, Jack? I think the closer you get to Christ, the more he tries to attack you because the ones that want to go and be with Christ are the ones that he's trying to get because he don't have to worry about these other ones that are doing this. <laughs> They're already, you know, so he's working more into making your life and this is the process of discipleship. You're correct. The process, you, you, you make a declaration for Christ, and it will not be easy. That's why the scripture tells us, be ready to suffer. Yeah. I, I, I heard a um, preacher say one time, the devil will chase you all the way to your grave. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. Did you have a comment? Too? I just, I just uh, read a, an analogy that a person had wrote about her baby was crying in a dark room and she was out in a really bright hallway. <clears throat> she walks into the dark room and she can't see anything. Mm-hmm. The light out in the hall. But soon her eyes adjusted to darkness mm-hmm. and she started to see things. Mm-hmm. And she said, and she was using that with us here on earth. Don't get so used to the light in the dark the room yeah. that you think you mm-hmm. can see well enough. Yeah. Keep your eyes on that bright light in the hallway. Yeah, and, and look towards that. Sometimes we get too comfortable right. with our vision in the sure. in this earth. Absolutely, we're just seeing a little bit. Yes, Amen. You're right on that. <clears throat> now, these are all parallels to what the Paul is teaching here. Paul is teaching here about about darkness. He's teaching about not being surprised. Okay, so he he says the Lord when the Lord comes when the day of the Lord comes going to be like a thief in the night. Okay. What does that mean? You have no idea. No idea. No no warning. Just somebody just breaks in as a thief in the night. Okay. And then he says, "But you're not part of the darkness." He makes it very clear to teach them. What is it that they knew? I asked that question. What is it they knew? They knew Jesus would come again, physically come again. They knew they were part of the light. John, in his gospel and in his letters, always talks about the light. It's one of his favorite metaphors, that Jesus is the light of the world. Okay? And in the first letter to John, we studied that book in here several summers ago, in the first chapter, first letter, John says, if you walk in the light, as he is in the light, you have fellowship one with another. For God is light, because in him there is no darkness at all. That, that's a powerful thought. Okay, All the light that we have in this world, it's artificial. Man had to create that light bulb. It does a good job giving us some light, but it doesn't give us spiritual light. Okay, The metaphor of darkness and light, the truth is, scientifically, darkness and light cannot cohabitate in the same space. That's why it says there will never be night in heaven. 
That's right. There's no need, and there's no need for a son in heaven either because Christ is the light. That's right. So darkness and light cannot cohabitate in the same space. I've used that so often to help people that are worried about demon possession and, and things. I believe as a Christian, if we're really trying to walk the life of Christ, if we are believing and trusting, we cannot become demon-possessed. We would have to give consent to our life. Okay, We can be oppressed, though. That means demons on the outside trying to do things to us. Okay, that's very real. Temptation, trials, tribulations, but not possessed. Okay, now, so this day, like he says, he makes it very clear to them, you're not of the the darkness. And that day is going to come. His his analogy here, besides a thief, is like the travail of a woman in labor. Okay, never had to do that myself. Never will. But you who have had babies in here, you know what he's talking about, don't you? There was a day, there was a moment when all of a sudden you went, oh, I think I need to get to the hospital. Or, oh, this baby's coming. Or, oh, you know, that's just an analogy Paul's trying to use. The travail. And, and, and any, any, anybody here go through childbirth, if you want to share, you don't have to, without any, totally naturally with no sedatives or anything? Because I know... In days gone by, that was common. Nope. My daughter did. Your daughter did, yeah. Basically, I did too on my second one. I'm telling you, I don't know how you did it. I don't know how you did it. People choose that now. You know, they don't want any drugs, nothing. They choose this this natural childbirth, and I'm going, wow, those are brave women. Those are brave women. When Rhonda and I were in the hospital having our baby, (laughs) our first baby, you know, she had the baby. I'm right there with her, though, right? I'm the coach trying to, she's she's having those. They couldn't give her any of that medicine until they got to a certain point, okay? And those first periods where it was, I mean, I could see the pain in her face and just having to intensely breathe through it, and I'm trying to help her breathe through it. And, And all the while, down the hallway, this is a St. Joseph Hospital on the fourth floor, down the hall, I mean, we heard screams. There were women screaming out in pain. And it was just like a horror movie or something. And 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 uh, we both looked at each other. When can I have that epidural? You know? <laughs> I don't like pain myself. I can't even imagine what you ladies had to endure. But he's using these analogies for a purpose. He wants them to know there's no way you're going to know when that's going to come. It's not you, you just can't know. One of the challenges that we have in this dispensational theology, this futurist theology, is many times people have gotten wrapped up in this thinking they can predict the time. Okay? Many times. In 1988, right here in the church, there was a book that got circulated, and it was a pastor, an associate pastor at the time, I won't name names, that gave it to me. And you know what the title of the book? 88 reasons why the Lord will return in 88. Oh, no. In 88. And I'm t- I read that. I was, you know, in 1988, I just came to the church in 84. I'm young and impressionable, right? So I'm reading this book, and and, uh, and I'm thinking, man, guys, look at these points he's making about Rosh Hashanah and the blowing of the trumpet and all this stuff. I mean, it just, you know, you can take anything, and you can start looking for parallels, okay? But be careful. Be careful. Because here's what I want us to hear. He knows, he's because he, he's going to tell them, as we get into book two here, 2 Thessalonians, you're going to hear Paul telling them, be careful. Don't do those things. Don't speculate. Jesus, in Luke chapter 19, Jesus tells that story of the ten 
the ten minus, the ten talents, the ten things. And in Luke chapter 19, he, he has this amazing, Jesus says to them, he says, after he gives the, all ten of them their, their money, and then he goes away, he says, I'm going to come back again someday. And what he tells them, he says, occupy until I return. So we do a little Greek word study, and we find, what is that word? I didn't even put it on the board because it was such a long one. Okay, it's a long word. It's called pragmatuomihi. 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 Okay, and you hear pragmat, pragmatism, pragmatic. You hear that root in there? That's the word that the Greek language used to occupy. It means, you know what it means literally? Do business. Just go about your lives. See this money here? Be a good steward. Spend it. Do wisely. Occupy your life until I return. Don't worry about when I return. Just be ready. The story of Jesus, the message of Jesus is always be ready. Well, regardless of what you think about all this end time philosophy, theology, and and what, you know, if you're looking for the temple to be rebuilt, God bless you. I don't think it'll ever be rebuilt. Okay? I don't think it needs to be rebuilt. I think there's. in Jerusalem, the one, that the one that was torn down. I read in the. Well, there's a there's a Muslim mosque there now. Okay, yeah. and what I'm telling you though is, and, and if it, yeah, and if it ever does get rebuilt, that doesn't mean that it needed to be rebuilt. It means that could be a self fulfilling prophecy. Man just decided to blow up the thing that's there and build it over again. Okay. <laughs> Somebody said something about it could be even a tent. Hmm. Tabernacle was originally a tent. Yeah, that's right. Could be a tent. Because um, in heaven there is no tabernacle. That's, that's right. That's right. Isn't and in the new true? order of things, in the new order, to use your phrase earlier about the new world order, we are the tabernacle. Our heart is the tabernacle of Christ. There's no need for a temple. Nobody will ever be saved in a temple again. Okay? That doesn't mean we can't have church buildings. Okay? That's a long story. But I'm saying <laughs> there's nobody. The Jewish people don't need to be saved by sacrifices again. Isn't that where Abraham's like a son? Yeah, they say that Mount Moriah was there. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Now, here's what I want you to hear as we kind of go through this. We're coming down to the last portion of the hour, last quarter of the hour. He's reminding them in verses 5 and 6, you guys are part of the light. You, this, this isn't, this isn't going to come upon you. Okay, you, you just occupy until I return. You're part of the light. And then he says this. He says, be sober. You're not dark. He uses those analogies. People that people get drunk at night. You know, that's a real analogy for losing control of their life. You know, it means not, not yes, the scripture tells us not to get drunk. He's just using an analogy here, though. He's not saying don't drink wine because we know they did drink wine. But he, what he is saying is don't get drunk. Don't lose control of your life. Okay? Be sober. The sober is a word I put on the board. Uh, Nafo. You pronounce that nafo. Okay? And it literally means to have uh, free, to be free of all passions. Okay? To be free of all passions. Soberness is being free of all passions. Think about the passions of this world. You know, we think of passion as a good positive word, the passion of Christ, you know, his passion on the cross, and it is. But generally speaking, when it comes to Christian life, what we want to concentrate on are the virtues. That's the life of Christ, is virtuous. The passions are lustly, fleshly things. 
passions of pride and arrogance and all kinds of things. So some of you know that I read a book a few years ago. I've recommended it many times in here. Don't read it unless you really want to get slapped in the face. Uh, It's called 30 Steps to Heaven. 30 Steps to Heaven. It's a rewriting of the old ancient uh, book called The Ladder of Divine Ascent, uh, which was like in the 6th century. And it's an incredible, 30 Steps to Heaven, it's retold. And it's a setup as these, these, this story of Jacob's ladder, okay? And each rung on the ladder has a different name of a passion, like greed or lust or, you know, all kinds. I mean, there's 30 of them, obviously, okay? But there's also a chorus to every passion, there's a corresponding virtue. So you want to control the passions by the power of the Holy Spirit and live for the virtues of life. So this word literally means... Be free of passion. Okay, be free of all things that would control your life. And therefore, you are willing and able to surrender completely to Jesus Christ. So being sober is a really important word here. He says it a couple of times. We belong to the day. What's the metaphor of the day? The metaphor of the day is, again, the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God is light. Okay, The sun never sets on the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God is the land of eternal light. We see this in the teaching of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Do you remember on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on the mountainside with him? And what did he do? All of a sudden, he turned us white and bright. I mean, they just, they're like falling down before the brightness of the light. And there's Elijah and Moses talking with him, with Jesus. There's a whole lot of theology that can be talked about there, but what, we don't have time for that. We did study that back in the Gospel of Mark, way back. So you can probably find that on the podcast when I get that put up because I got lost at once upon a time. I've still never found the time to get all of the Gospel of Mark put back up there. But it's chapter 9, the Gospel of Mark. And here's the point. I believe what happened on that Mount of Transfiguration was Jesus showed Peter, James, and John the uncreated light of his glory. And they were blown away. They could do nothing but fall down and worship. The uncreated light of his glory. And when, Jesus, when we hear Jesus say, you are of the day, you have that light within you. The only reason you're saved, the only reason you are trying to pursue holiness is because the uncreated light of the world has come to live within you, to show you the way, to shine on your path. Isn't that a powerful thought? Mm-hmm. Wow. So we say, give me more of the light, Lord. That's what discipleship is. Give me more of the light. Shed more light on our way but not faster. God will never shine light more fast, faster than we can understand. Okay, we're all on a... Di- so that ladder to heaven that we just talked about, we're all on a different realm. And you know the thing about it, that you can get way up high and all of a sudden you can fall back down. There's an old icon in ancient Eastern Christian Orthodox theology. There's an icon, and a very dear friend of mine gave me a copy. Of it gave me one of the icons. Because he knew I was working through that book and I was struggling with things in life. And he said, you need this icon. I want you to look at this icon. And at the top of the icon is Christ. And at the bottom of the icon is the devil. It's the, it's the mouth of a serpent. trying to. And, and some of the people are falling off. Some people lose their way. It's possible to fall off the ladder. Okay? But we don't have to worry about that if we're trying to live for Christ. And this is why. In the next section of this book, he's going to talk about holiness. Our job is to pursue the life of holiness, to pursue the life of Jesus Christ. 
entirely. That's our job, okay? And faithful is he who calls us, and he will do it. That's 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Faithful is he who calls you, and he will do it. Now, to end our discussion today, I want to talk about, in verse 9, Paul reminds them of something they already know. Again, he told them in the very first verse, you guys don't need me to tell you this. You already know all this. It was part of their training as Christians. And they're only six months into the faith, okay? Boy, do we need to do a better job of discipling people. You know, we really need to do a better job of discipling people in our world today. One of the saddest commentaries on the evangelical movement is that it got so caught up with getting people saved, it missed getting people sanctified. God wants both of us for us. God wants us to live in his fullness. God wants us to live holy, pure lives. But we need someone to lead us there. And here's what he says. He says, God has not destined us for wrath. Right before that, he said, be sober, put on the breastplate of faith, love, and hope. We hear those words in the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Faith, love, and hope. For these things, three things abide. These are the eternal things. Faith, love, and hope. And Paul says, love is the greatest. And here he says, you know, put these things on. That means be active in your discipling process. Don't just take your faith, believe, and set it on a shelf. You got to serve the Lord every day. You got to learn from the Lord every day. You got to be in a process of discipleship every day of our lives. Now, so, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Greek word for salvation literally translates deliverance. I did not write that up here, but it translates deliverance. Salvation means to be delivered. Okay, And he's saying that God has not appointed us for wrath. I think we better stop for a minute as we close and talk about what is wrath. How do we understand God's wrath? Because i got to tell you, that is, a, that is a very confusing topic. And I wasn't taught it very well. One of my first exposures, one of my first, okay, I was born in a church, okay, not literally in the building, but I was born in church, okay. My parents went to a small little uh, Protestant church, Church of the Brethren, and I'm very thankful for those years because I was raised in those first early years and then went to the Catholic church. But um, what I want you to hear about that is that um, just because I was born in church, I didn't know anything about my faith. I didn't know, I just thought everybody was a Christian. Okay, I didn't know that I needed to personally turn my life over to Jesus Christ, let alone the thought of being sanctified. What in the world is that? I mean, when that came to me, once I got here to the Church of the Nazarene, I was blown away by that teaching. But, but what I did is what I did learn very quickly was somebody showed me that movie, A Thief in the Night, back in the 19, late 60s. I don't know when it came out. The youth groups were all seeing it. Anybody remember it? Julie, do you remember it? The Thief in the Night? That alarm clock rings and it just... I left that film scared to death. Okay? And, and, and I don't like that film because it, it's trying to scare people into the kingdom. I don't want to scare people into the kingdom. I want to love people in the kingdom. Because what happens if all you do is scare them into the kingdom? It won't last. It won't last. If you get them there at all, it won't last. Because ultimately the lure of the world is too strong. And we start to believe, well, Jesus isn't coming back anyway. If we start doing what, 
we start doing what some of them are doing. You know, Jesus isn't coming back anyway. It's been 2,000 years. You think he's really coming back? You know, that kind of thinking creeps into our thought process. But that's why we need to understand a thousand years is like nothing to God. <laughs> okay. Um, but but this idea of wrath, what is it? So what I what it, it was his vengeance. You know, I would vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. You know, you know all of that is true. That's a scripture. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. That's all true. But what does it mean? Is God? Is there? Is God this? Is he this? dualistic individual that has a good side and a bad side? And boy, you step out of line, you'll see the bad side. I would say so. No. Absolutely not. This is the problem with most of Christian teaching of the last hundred years anyway. Much too often, we have been guilty of teaching the wrath of God without the love of God. And I want to tell you that they're both the same thing. I've heard, I can't live up to it, so I'm not going to even yeah. try. Yeah. Sure, sure. The wrath of God and the love of God are ultimately really the same thing. Okay? God is holy. Okay? When you disciplined your children, if you did, did you do it because you were mad at them? Or did you do it because you loved them? Did it hurt you to spank that child more than it did them? Like, I didn't believe that, you know? But then when I had to do it, all of a sudden I did believe it. I, I, I'm, this isn't a class on corporal punishment or anything like that, so if you don't believe in that, it's okay. I just had a wise man once tell me, spank early and you won't have to spank often. Now, early wasn't when they were, I mean, I, I can't, I can't even remember. Yeah, I can't even remember the last day. Spare the rod, spoil the child, the scripture too. I can't remember when it was. I maybe had to spank my children three times, twice on my son and once on my daughter. And that was the hardest one of all was to spank my daughter. I just, oh my goodness. So everybody listening to this will think I'm a horrible man to have to do that. But I want you to, I mean, it killed me to do it. But I loved her too much to let her become a spoiled brat. That's the only way I can phrase it, you know. I haven't. Um, so my wrath was really my love. Okay. Yes, Carol. Brad, I was privileged to to see what a loving, gracious God we have. Wow. As I watched it. Yes. <laughs> That's beautiful. And when He took His last breath. I knew, I knew he was with Amen. Amen. Just through mercy, grace. Yes. Yes. That beautiful assurance. And that sweet that, that is so beautiful because it says right here, the last verse, Carol, is <clears throat> we're, we're to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, that means whether we're drawing breath in this world or whether we're living in the heavenly kingdom because we've already physically died in this world, what you witnessed, okay? Whether either way, we're with Christ. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Okay, he's always ready to commend them. You guys are doing things right, just tweaking their faith a little bit and correcting them a little bit, okay? But... But oh, how we need to hear that message. 
You know, we God's not just waiting to send people to hell. In fact, you've heard me say it before and I'll say it again. I don't believe God ever has and ever will send anyone to hell. And trust me, I believe in hell. Okay, I believe in it. It's real. Jesus talked about it. What it is, we can talk a long time about. Okay? But if we ultimately end up there, it's because of a choice we make. Not God. That's the, the number one reason why people will not become a Christian. The number one people reason why people reject Christian faith is because they say, a loving God would not send me to hell. A loving God would not send people to hell. Wow. Have we done a horrible job of teaching who God is? Our loving Heavenly Father. Why did Jesus call him a loving Heavenly Father? Because that's his essence. Yes. I have a Seventh-day Adventist cousin, and she believes people will go to hell for a while, but they don't believe God would lead them there. Ultimately, everybody gets out, huh? Yeah, I've heard that taught before. I actually didn't know the Seventh-day Adventist believed it, but I've heard that taught before. It's not, not, it's not what Scripture says. Um, eternal is eternal. Eternal separation versus eternal life. Um, well, we're out of time. It's 12.01, and I started one minute after, so I got, got in an hour with you today. I probably didn't do this passage justice. Okay, I probably didn't do this passage justice. But just keep that thought. He, he said in verse 10, who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we might live with him. I love that. Paul said, for me to die is to be with Christ. Wow. I've no, you know what? And, and God is so faithful. He is so faithful to just... You know, other places in Scripture where Paul writes about God renewing us moment by moment and day by day. As we see that day approaching. So why why does it not take us, why does it not, he says it comes like a thief in the night. But we're not worried about that. Why? Because we're being lovingly renewed day by day. We're growing closer to that day anyway, day by day. That should be our desire. That should be our goal. When he comes, I don't care. I don't care. I just want to be found in him. Okay? And I believe as long as we're trying, his grace is sufficient, okay? I believe in faith. I believe we're saved by faith. But I believe he wants to go on to the good works of this life. And I believe he wants us to show our faith and live our faith. And I believe that God is faithful, that I do not have to worry about going to hell by accident. Okay? Sure. Question at the end. something. I don't know if I am saying this right that you didn't think the third temple would probably be built? I don't think it'll be rebuilt, but Do it doesn't need to be rebuilt. Let me Do rephrase it. Do you still believe that he'll come through these gates that are closed? Absolutely. Absolutely. But the gate's part of the city wall, not the temple. Now, right. you know what I just realized? We didn't pray before we began. Uh, you, you guys are supposed to hold this up at me because I was so excited I was here on time. But you know what? Let's pray as we close with this yeah. prayer. I love this prayer. You know, I gave it to you a while back. I just love it. And let's ask the Lord to illumine our hearts with all that we've talked about this morning, okay? Okay. Let's pray with me. Illumine our hearts, O Master, lover of all humanity, with the pure light of your divine knowledge. Open the eyes of our hearts that we may understand your gospel teachings. 
and plant deep within us the fear of your blessed commandments, that through them we may conquer all carnal desires and may be transformed to live, both thinking and doing the things that are pleasing to you. For you, O Lord, are the light of our souls and bodies, and unto you we give all glory and praise, together with our Father, who is from everlasting, and the all-holy, good, and life-creating Spirit, now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for coming. Well, that's all we have time for today. And I want to thank you again for listening in. I hope that our time together has been a blessing to you. While you're here, why not take a moment to add a comment or perhaps ask a question? You know, Forming the Spirit Within is a listener-supported ministry. And I really appreciate your feedback and your support. If you'd like more information on how to be a part of this ministry, you can find it online at bradreillyministries.org. Again, thanks for listening and spending the time with us today. And may the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you as He forms His Spirit within you.